0: been doing wrong. We've been playing the notes on the page. Playing music is
1: supposed to be fun. It's about heart.
0: It's about feelings and moving people and something beautiful and being alive and it's not about notes on a page. Thank you, Mr. Holland, and welcome to Episode 2 of the Ukulele Brain Podcast. I am your host, Douglas Reynolds, of the Reno Ukulele Festival. On today's episode, we will interview Victoria Vox and Jack Mayer, also known as Jack and the Vox, and we'll also get into our very first brain training exercise. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please go to our website, theukulelebrain.com, and read all about it. In today's interview, we'll talk a little bit about percussive strumming, which effectively turns your ukulele into two instruments that you play simultaneously. You'll be playing the ukulele, but you'll also be playing a percussion instrument like a washboard or a guiro, which is one of those wooden ribbed scraper thingies that comes from the ultra cool family of Latin American instruments. Now about our brain training exercises. The purpose is not to teach you a song or a lick or anything like that. The exercises are designed to help your brain create a new connection or expand upon an existing connection that will add to your ukulele playing toolkit. Each exercise is geared toward the newer player, but even if you are accomplished, playing along with us will add myelin to your existing neural pathways, and that's always a good thing. And again, if you don't know what myelin is, please visit theukulelebrain.com and read up on that. The purpose of today's exercise is to lay the foundation for making syncopated strumming a natural and controllable part of your bag of tricks. It's a simple exercise meant to install the ability to vary your right hand in relation to the beat. The first thing I'd like you to do is put your fretting hand in the B-flat position. So your index finger is touching the first and second strings at the first fret, your middle finger is touching the third string at the second fret, and your ring finger is touching the fourth string at the third fret. You don't have to squeeze down, just lay your fingers across the strings lightly. Next I'd like you to slide that entire shape up to the fifth fret. So your index finger is laying across strings one and two at the fifth fret, your middle finger is touching the third string at the sixth fret, and your ring finger is touching the fourth string at the seventh fret. That's the ONLY position you're going to be playing throughout the exercise, so get comfortable with it. Keep it lightly touching the strings. Next, do a quick downstroke across the strings. It should sound something like this. If you're getting any kind of note or tone out of a string, you'll want to lighten up on whatever the offending finger is, so you're just getting this muted sound. Next, we're going to do a down-up strumming pattern. So here we go. One, two, three, four, down-up, 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 down-up. All right. Now I'm using the back of my fingernails for the downstroke, and then when I do the upstroke, the pads of my fingers are catching the strings on the way back up. You can do whatever is comfortable as long as you can keep that beat. So now let's do that with a metronome. Here we go. I'll count you in. One, two, ready, go. Down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up. All right, how'd you do with that? If you had any trouble, stop the podcast and go back and do it a few more times until you can keep up with that beat. Now we'll get into the fun. On the number one downbeat, we're going to squeeze that chord shape very quickly. We're going to squeeze it just as the downstroke begins, and then we're going to immediately let it up as the downstroke ends. So it should sound something like this. Make sure, when you let the strings back up, that your fingers remain in contact with the strings. Now, for you newer players, if you're not getting four distinctly clean notes with that strum, don't worry about it. It's all about the rhythm in this exercise. So, why am I having you play this position at the fifth fret? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First, Once you move up the neck, get farther away from the nut, and increase the string length between your hand and the nut, bar chords and partial bars like this one become easier to play. That will help you build strength for playing the B-flat back down at the nut. It's kind of like building muscles by lifting lighter weights at the gym. Also, if you haven't noticed, this position is another way to play D major. And a really good thing about this position up on the 5th fret can be found another two frets up on the 7th fret. I think I see posts every day in Facebook groups asking for help playing the E major chord. Well, just slide this shape up to the 7th fret and you have E major. Not to mention that you also have other common chords like E flat on the 6th fret, C sharp by sliding down to the 4th fret, and of course C major on the 3rd fret. So you're getting little bonus benefits along the way. Now I'm going to start the metronome again and we're going to do that squeeze on just the first downstroke. The rest of the strokes will remain muted as before. So here we go. One, two, ready, go. Alright, got that? Now the final part of the puzzle. The entire exercise will take place over two sets of those eight beats. Uh, again, four down, four up. So down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up. That's eight beats, and that's gonna take place twice. The very first downstroke will have the squeeze of the chord. We will also squeeze the chord on the number eight upstroke and then we will squeeze again on the next set of eights, number two upstroke. Let me demonstrate that for you very slowly here. So the first one is a down, One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Got that? Once again, if not, stop the podcast, rewind it a little bit, and follow along. It can be a little tricky. Let's do that along with the metronome. I will count you in. See if you can keep up. Here we go. One, two, ready, go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, Alright. That's the extent of the exercise. Now, what do you want to do is to do that exercise about three times a day for only about two or three minutes at a time. That will serve to start wiring up a connection in your ukulele brain. After a couple of days, it should be much easier. And over a period of time, a week or so, it should become second nature to you. The good thing about this is when your ukulele brain wires up a new connection for a given task, it doesn't need data from every possible version of that task. It only needs one solid example of how to do something. When you add variations later, it'll use the initial connection we just started to build, and it will then increase the bandwidth as these other variations come into play and they'll all come about more easily. So let's do this exercise for about 45 seconds so you can play along with it, and then we'll get into today's interview. Ready? Here comes the metronome. One, two, three, four. 5, 6, ready go. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. go so that's your first brain training of the ukulele brain once again do that two or three minutes at a time two or three times a day and you'll start building new connections that will assist you in a number of areas of your playing as you go forward now let's get to today's interview OK, today's special guests are, in my humble opinion, the ukulele world's finest singer-songwriter, Victoria Vox, and her hubby and cohort in musical crime, Jack Maher. You told me how to pronounce it, but, but taking two T's out of matter is the English maher, so I'm still not sure.
2: It doesn't matter how you say it.
0: Maher how you say it. Victoria and Jack, how you two? How has COVID world in Costa Mesa been treating you? We are
1: treating it. Yes, and uh it's been fun, man. Um it's been, you know, a weird time to be alive, but I wouldn't want to be with anyone else while this was going down.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Have you left the uh the house you've been hunkered down under the uh desk with the newspaper over your head? No, we
1: uh we venture out for, you know, nuts and berries. But uh, and, kill, and to kill a couple of zombies, but then we come back home. now and she sends me out to do all the chores. Yeah,
2: I basically never leave the house <laughs> ever. Um.
1: <laughs> so we're waiting to get the uh, inoculation, and then we're going to find our way back on the stage out there eventually.
0: We got our uh, J and J one shot last Tuesday. Congrats! Oh, you and the cool thing was we got it in Virginia City in a train museum.
2: Oh, I saw pictures of that.
0: Yeah, that yeah. Was awesome. So. So that was very cool. It was actually right across the street from when, where we did the Yuke Train, where we rode the train, the 1800s train up there and stayed in the hotel. So, it, you know, there was there was a connection there. So cool. Um so Victoria, you were my first ever ukulele festival headliner in 2009. And you were the first one I asked to join us this September for the 12th Reno Ukulele Festival. So in those dozen years, how has uh, your life changed? And don't leave out the part about uh, how Mr. Jack here became involved. And Jack, you can jump in too. So a little bit about the story uh, of how Jack and the Vox came about.
2: Well, um, if anyone's been following my music since 2003, I'm sure through my songs they can kind of uh, follow a, a, a timeline of events during my life. And, uh, but yeah, just been, I uh, started out just playing in coffee shops and playing guitar and ukulele and singing my songs and uh, yeah, i been, uh, I guess, started playing the ukulele in 2003 and then 2006 was my first ukulele festival in New York and uh from there i think other ukulele festivals like yours began and began to pop up across the country and i uh, just was really uh excited to be a part of that community and i think uh, gosh we started in minden and then uh went to the the nugget in uh sparks mm-hmm. and the last time uh was at the it was at the hilton
0: the peppermint
2: peppermint peppermint and mm-hmm. uh so yeah it's been so awesome to see your festivals grow from that very first one with Brittany paiva that we played uh in minden and to uh what the uh 10-year reunion was and we're excited to come back uh in 2012 or 2020 2021 we don't know whatever uh, year this is is. doesn't matter (laughs) And um, (laughs) as a songwriter ukulele player um i just have come to Really appreciate the instrument and love the instrument for its uh, versatility in um, playing, you know, different all kinds of music and different musical genres. And I feel it's very freeing for me, and it's also a very percussive instrument, so it gives me a lot of rhythm to play with. And uh, so I've just been uh, writing, writing music and getting out there and performing uh, for as, for a long time now. And uh, I guess uh, well, I went to the Berklee College of Music in Boston, this was after high school. So this was even before I started playing ukulele. And that's where Jack and I first met. And we were always just buddies and would hang out and- uh, She wouldn't have
0: anything to do with me. That's correct. Me. Yeah, wise.
1: <laughs> and, and, and rightfully so.
0: <laughs>
2: I like the forty-year-old version better.
0: <laughs> version, she said. Version. Forty-year-old version. Oh yeah, yeah. Version. Um, and uh, so,
2: we're both songwriting majors, so uh, we we reconnected in at the NAM convention in two thousand. First, in two thousand eleven, we bumped into each other, and then again in two thousand sixteen, and it was that that time running into each other that we both mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, think decided that that was that was it where our, our search has ended had ended for the uh, perfect person.
0: <laughs> you know, until I met you, Victoria, um, I didn't even realize songwriting was a course of study. I knew classical music was and that sort of thing. But I always thought it was like, everybody did it the same. Paul wakes up with the melody for yesterday in his head. And then works on scrambled eggs until it becomes what it is. And um, so there's actually a course of study to help you do that, right? Absolutely. So so can you talk a little bit about what you learned, what you still use from uh, what you learned there, what you don't? Um, You know, you're both songwriters. So you know, freeform songwriting education through songwriting career, Go.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, for me speaking personally about songwriting, um at Berkeley there are teachers and they have their rules and they they give you the information and you take it and do what you will with it, whether you follow it or you forget it. And uh a lot of time I'm an angsty youth. It would be like uh I, we had a teacher, he said, Never use the word orange at the end of a phrase because nothing rhymes with the word orange, right? So I proceeded to write a song called George Malachorange. and uh, or it was me and it was a co-write with a bunch of other dudes, but it was like I like to eat an orange with my friend George Malachorange. and then I presented that as a song and of course he took it as kind of a slap in the face and
2: which it was and
1: but but you know it's kind of to prove a point that you know there is no right or wrong way to write a song. I mean it happens organically it happens over a period of 20 years. You know a, a, a meticulous uh, approach or something that just you for lack of a better term you just vomit out and uh, there's you know with these rules it's like kind of like Charlie Parker said you know learn everything you can and forget it and I, 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 I like that philosophy in the sense that you don't want to not have any of the information but you can take it or leave it as you go and and songwriting is a personal thing And, uh, for me, the best songs I've ever written are the ones I never thought I would write in the first place.
0: So give me just an overview of the curriculum for songwriting. Is there a melody class? Is there, you know, music theory built into it? Is there a lyric side? I mean, how, how were the courses put together?
2: Yeah, well, as for because it's a music college, everyone has to take um, there's music theory uh, one through four, harmony one through four, traditional uh, harmony, which is classical harmony, choral part writing, ear um, training, jazz composition. There's they're arranging, um,
1: conducting. (laughs) Class, I hated conducting yeah, class. but but you know, it- I
2: put a little gobbledy monster on the end of my conductor stick to make class fun, <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, so everyone has to take those. But then once you get down into the track of your major, like songwriting, um, it's first separated into uh, there's lyric writing one and two, and there is uh, songwriting one and two, which probably this, the lyric writing obviously is focusing on the lyrics. The pattern of rhythms, rhyming, uh, how you are presenting your ideas and story, and then there is the songwriting part, which prob- which focuses more on uh, the melody, the harmony, the timing of the rhythm of the melody. Does it start on a non chord tone? And um, and then there's uh, then there's like a it's advanced songwriting one and two, where you are now putting those two parts together. And then there's um, I think it's like songwriting performance where you'd also perform then for the class and the teacher and uh, videotape yourself for a final exam of uh, performing your songs. And that uh, watching yourself on on the tape was was part of the exam because it's the hardest thing to do and you can uh, self critique yourself and give yourself a grade.
1: And it was tape, by the way. Yeah, v- VHS. <laughs> <laughs> That's how um, we are.
2: But I think for for me, while I was at Berkeley and like learn going through all these classes, I was coming from a very um, emotional songwriting perspective. Of I was writing therapeutically, basically, and uh, I just wanted to get everything off my chest. Of how I felt, or um, there were like English lit class at Berkeley. The teacher would accept uh, lyrics, um, musical compositions instead of an essay. <laughs> and so I would write songs for my English class <laughs> about some Barbara Kingsolver book I read part of. <laughs> and uh, but I think I, I went through Berkeley a lot of just kind of in one ear, out the other. Because I knew what I wanted to do or what I needed to do for myself, but I would also I was kind of like writing two tracks of songs, one that uh, satisfied the assignment and the instru- the instructor, and then I was writing my own stuff on the side. And I was kind of a late bloomer that it didn't. Really, uh, I didn't have my aha moment until about four, three or four years after graduation. Um, it was also at a time I think I had just started picking up the ukulele, but um, it just kind of every. I've kind of I think once I said everything I needed to say, I could kind of uh, start opening up and writing about other things and be a little bit more creative in uh, my songs and songwriting.
0: Okay, um, so that's slanted a lot towards the lyrics, um, the lyrical side of songwriting, and which is the most important to me, which is probably why I've never been able to write a melody. And um, I'll have some questions about that. I'm going to play a song of yours in a, in a minute, and we'll do that. But I do want to take this opportunity, because I think I've I've got the opportunity for some fake news scandal here. Ooh. Um. So I understand you also went to school with a fairly decent guitarist named John Mayer, and Jack is sometimes a nickname for John, and the last names are only one letter apart. So Jack, are you actually John Mayer, or did you marry Jack because things didn't work out with John? I mean- No,
1: when we were in school <laughs> together, it was a running gag. I would see him in the hall and say, hey, it's John Mayer. And he would say, "Hey, it's John Mayer. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we you know, other than that, we never got really uh, mixed up as far as well, uh, recognition s- people goes. People but, say
2: "mayor" all the time. They're like, "I'm oh, mrs Mayor," and I'm like,
1: "Yeah." Yeah, Maher is. Um, it's a it's a hard name to pin down. I can't
0: really. Is that why? Why Bill Mar just says Mar?
1: You know, it, if you want a quick anecdote, I went to a taping of Politically Correct in the late '90s and. Uh, Before the show, Bill comes out and takes questions from the audience. So, of course, I'm a young kid. I'm like, ooh, me, me, me. He picked me first, and I said, Bill, we share the same last name, you and me, but I find nobody knows how to pronounce it. And he goes, oh, my gosh, my last name is like the bane of my existence. He says, how do you say it? And I said, Maher. And he goes, see, that's wrong. And the (laughs) the audience starts laughing, you know. I said, well, you know, that's the way my family says it, so to me, that's right. And he goes, well, are you of Irish heritage? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, in Ireland, they pronounce it Mar and I said, well, they pronounce everything wrong over there. And then the audience like was now on my side and uh bill is just like you smart aleck kids. All right, next question, you know, but uh, it's, it's one of those things. And, uh, even to this day, like when, when I used to take plane flights a, a little over a year ago, somebody would look at my ID, the TSA and be like, Oh, John Mayer. You know and be like no it's not me but i do have a guitar
2: but he lived he lived down the hall for me in uh, my second semester he moved up from the sixth floor to the seventh floor and uh, he was actually one of the first people i met at berkeley mm. and i remember having a very embarrassing moment um we were kind of you know everyone's meeting as freshmen and you're hanging out and you're like oh what do you do And like oh, i'm a songwriter and play guitar and sing and he's like, um, he's like, yeah, let's go. Um, he's like, we want to go like swap songs. And um, so I remember going to his dorm room and we sat down on the floor cross-legged with our guitars facing each other. And I remember him being just like, you go first. <laughs> and so I sang and I sang my heart out and oh, I was the, my emotional song. And And then he didn't really say anything. I remember. And then he played his song. And the whole time I'm thinking just like, why, why is this guy even here? Like, <laughs> he's so good and just like, how embarrassing that <laughs> I sang my song.
1: <laughs> well, then he ended up writing a song inspired by you called Victoria. Yes. Yeah, you know, know, John's a really good friend and uh, I've known him for, you know, since the late 90s and uh, he's had me on one of his music videos as well. So it's it's been nice to watch his career just explode and see all the great things he's doing. He's a monster player. Yeah. And on, on, on a personal level, he's one of the funniest dudes I've ever, ever, ever talked to. He's one of those guys, you you can't one-up him. He's always got something else in his back pocket. And so that's- Which
2: made me feel uncomfortable most of the time.
1: That kind of fueled our relationship <laughs> is that he and I would always try to kind of outdo each other, especially musically and, and humorously and and all the other things. But uh, he's a he's a good dude.
0: So are, are you actually a John as well?
1: I am a John. OK, I, I was named after JFK.
0: Oh, my my dad and my brother are both actually just named Jack. Ah. So um, are they Jacksons or just Jack? No, just just Jack? Just Jack. Just Jack. Jack. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just Jack. OK, so I'm going to play uh, Peeping Tomat and funny thing. This is the absolute truth. I just wanted to go through it one more time. And I was sitting here and I pulled it up on YouTube. And the commercial beforehand was John Mayer. <laughs> he, it was a commercial for a car or something. Like it was not anything to do with music, but he was the celebrity in the commercial. I went, okay, this I have to mention this. Yeah, occasionally
2: um, I get, you know, I would get an email from like a John Mayer super fan being like, Is it really you? Are you the Victoria in the song? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. Uh, well that you know, that's a little bit of a claim to fame. <laughs> Rock fan. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um we're gonna play peeping Tomet uh and off the chameleon album, and then it was also on the cello album, right?
2: the vox ukulele cello yeah we made a yeah. kind of an acoustic recording of it as well
0: yeah so everybody out there have a listen to this and then uh, i'll be back with uh, some more questions Okay, for the sake of time, we won't talk too much about the protagonist in the song, unless you want to. Um, but I, I I don't know, I find having been a struggling melody writer, I find the chord changes and a few of the notes really interesting in this song, and the feel uh, between the verse and the choruses, or the verses and the chorus, are, are different, so can you can you talk a little bit about um, matching the feel of the music to the lyrics, or how you did it in this case, and then how and why you were able to go from this little down and up strumming thing to this completely different sounding uh, a chorus, or maybe I'm just hearing things, so take it away.
2: Well, uh, when I wrote this song, it was in 2007. And so I had only been playing ukulele for, you know, three and a half, four years at that time. And I think that through all my songwriting with the ukulele, it was honestly me learning how to play the instrument as I went. And it was always uh, in an effort to not have every song sound the same. I was constantly. In search of different grooves, different rhythms, different chords, um, and and just learning how to play the instrument, and so I think I remember it was for um, FOM, which is February Album Writing Month, which takes hmm. place in Februarys, and the goal is to write fourteen songs in twenty eight days. Um, I'm always happy if I come out with four songs that I like, and uh, but that was and they give a uh, weekly cues, songwriting cues, and so this cue that week was. Uh, Uh, A street, like a street name in the title and so it was kind of like, you know, fascination street or it it could you know, any, it could just be I lived on Overbrook Road and I didn't find that to be particularly inspiring Um, but I think I was just I came up with that, it's a a minor line cliche on the ukulele going from like an E minor E minor major 7 to an E minor 7 and oh thank you (laughs) back up so it's kind of this like cycle. Um, and the verse
0: is in minor, it's kind of, uh, but then the...
2: Hold on, hold, oh, hold chorus on, hold on, I'm in, not there yet. Ow.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that's what I was getting getting at, so... Uh.
2: so uh, but I was thinking lyrically, you know, it's kind of it's kind of this minor thing, it's kind of creepy, and then I'm like, street, street, discreet, I live just up the street, and then this kind of like stalker, peeping Tom met, but I'm a girl, so it's got to be a peeping Tomette uh, kind of theme came out, and... Um, yeah and the flip and so yeah the, the the verse is in e minor and then it flips to e major for the chorus and i don't really know um i don't know if it was intentional um other than it felt like melodically it just kind of went to this like sunnier place of right you know and and kind of so the the chord that um that married those two sections together was a C major seven. And then you've got, you end up back into either your, uh, e, uh, sorry, E major. But going through that, um, that with the B in that C major seven chord, um, which was common in both the E major and E minor chords. So that was, a. Uh, kind of the 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 chord that got me through both sections um and then I think lyrically I get away with it because I'm a woman singing it and it's on a ukulele and it's kind of um fun but I think by themselves the lyrics might be a little disturbing so taking it to (laughs) this major kind of um where there's this Drastic. Close uh,
0: up your curtains. Yeah, but the close up your curtains is when it changes to major and it's like happier, go hide. I don't know. I I just smile every time I hear that change.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I think and then in the groove wise and that song in that recording anyways, I used to kind of take it to almost like a reggae vibe as far as what I was playing on the uke and then the verses were kind of this jazz left hand muting. Minor line cliche, and then kind of breaking out into this like sunny reggae.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so you'd only been playing three years. The um, the the mute uh, percussive strumming with the right hand. Did you did you intentionally bring that into your playing? I, I mean, after playing guitar all my life, that just became a natural thing. But if you're only playing three years, did you specifically work on that or did it just pop into your arm one day or what? Well,
2: I did play guitar for eight years before um, picking up the ukulele. And then I kind of played both, um, not at the same time, but uh, (laughs) around the same time period for like another, I guess another six years. And then finally I just, I went full-time into ukulele world. Uh, But yeah, so I think definitely having been a guitar player brought a lot of skill to my rhythm playing as a ukulele player, um, both left and right hand related. Um, it did uh, they are different, very different instruments and I for sure I'll let <laughs> Jack talk about playing ukulele. just
1: don't hit me again. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and yeah. So we'll not, we'll get into Jack's shirt. So, you know, guitar
2: players behave can behave yourself. I always think like guitar players can play a ukulele, but it's just it is played differently
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, without a pick. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> well,
0: not not all the time. I mean,
2: <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be. But um, I I prefer it without a pick. And and I think part a pick can uh, you know and the same probably with guitar a pick can limit you later down the road when you're going into finger picking or or like rolls and you know um so i I like that freedom of my right hand to um to change between rhythms and uh vibes and grooves easily um yeah Yeah. any
0: any suggestions for uh, people out there um listening and uh, having just heard that song going oh that that's the muting sounds really cool any any uh, way you know you might suggest people start getting into that
2: yeah it's definitely easier to left hand mute uh when playing bar chords and obviously you can also left hand mute when you're playing open chords but then you have to somehow use your hand or other fingers to stop the strings from ringing in between the beats and so with left hand muting you basically hold a bar chord and you kind of um, pulse the 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 hand position the chord uh, down to the fretboard while you're strumming and then you just lightly you don't let go, like remove your hand from the chord shape. You just don't press. And so it's a really fine line between pressing to get sound and leaving your fingers on the string but not pressing.
1: To mute the to string. To
2: mute the string. And it's a really subtle movement of just, and the way that um I taught with uh, James Hill down at the Kerrville Folk Festival in Texas and they had a ukulele week. And I was talking about left hand muting and James chimed in, he's like, I I think of it like squeezing an orange. And when you you squeeze when you want the juice (laughs) and you know, just kind of like squeezing this orange. And um, so it is kind of like, kind of like that. But I think, yeah, you squeeze when you want the juice, when you want the sound, and then you just kind of, you don't let go of the orange, you still hold it. But uh, yeah.
1: (laughs) Wonderful analogy.
2: So practice making orange juice. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> I use other fruit.
0: All right. So, so Jack, you came into the Jack and the Vox team with a whole catalog of established songs. Um,
1: I like to say I married into the ukulele community.
0: There you go. Yeah. 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 Um,
1: it was a bustling community, so I, I'm glad to be part of it.
0: Yeah, it I mean, the community is certainly unique. It's very different from the guitar community. Um, And not to put anything down. But when I used to go to festivals, uh, before I got in the ukulele, Everybody at, you know, Healdsburg or, or any of the guitar, big guitar festivals, everybody seemed to be in competition with each other all the time. Yes. And the ukulele, it's completely different. It's like, I'm out of tune. That doesn't matter. You know, yeah. I'm singing off key. That doesn't matter. Just, you know, just go. So, uh, that was one of the things that, um, that endeared me to it early on and probably why I'm still doing it after 15 years, 16 years. It was yeah. 2005. I had Jake at a coffee shop in Carson City. Wow. And then, uh, uh, and actually, it was that year that we did our week- weekly Borders trip where I found the Fretz magazine that had Jake in it. And I just looked at it and went, well, This sounds interesting. And I went into the back to the CD section, put on the headphones, listened, and went, Wow. You can do that on a ukulele, and of course he can do that on a ukulele. Right, but um, that just uh, you know got me into it, and then went to some little festivals and, went, and did the one that we did in in Minden. Put two ads online, not even ads, just listings uh, like at flea market bulletin board and one other place, and we got a hundred people from all over the country came to Minden, Nevada. And you know, there's something
3: here
0: uh yeah after doing after doing producing you know regular concerts and things for for several years um and having getting the word out being the, the most difficult thing i didn't even try to get the word out i just put a couple listings in it and they all showed up so sorry i got off got off
2: topic. a uh a venue for uh for me and others to perform Music and uh, I think for me especially uh, because I do original music, it really is a a a, a community of people that uh, I guess appreciate what I do and uh, appreciate new music being brought into the ukulele world as a songwriter. So
0: yeah, no, I'm songwriter. I've always been the most appreciative of the songwriters that I grew up with. There's some singers that would just cover other people's stuff that I liked. Um, but if I could find the original from the original songwriter, I always wanted to hear that and sort of, so Linda Ronstadt, I was a big Linda Ronstadt fan in the seventies. Um, but she introduced me to Carla Bonoff who wrote so many of her songs went to, you know, tracked down Carla Bonoff, and we ended up having her at the theater and everything too. And, you know, the the song, sometimes the arrangements are really similar, but it's a different feel from the person doing it. On the other hand of that, she wrote a a song that both she and Linda did called Goodbye, My Friend, which is a tearjerker, you know, death and love and all that stuff. And it's like, I cried over that for years and then found out it was a songwriting assignment when she was a songwriter in school. And she wrote it about her cat, which is fine because, you know, pets are family members. But, and then the same thing, she wrote one called Daddy's Little Girl, which I can hardly even think about without tearing up. And that was a class assignment. And it was like, okay so if i'm listening to that if it comes on and i'm with the girls and they're giving me a hard time i can just think it's just a school assignment to you know to get through it
2: you know as songwriters um we have to pull inspiration from anywhere and sometimes uh whether it's an assignment or a lyrical cue or like here's a piece of artwork write about it you don't know what's going to come out from that cue Mm-hmm. And so yeah it's it really you know so i i can appreciate her having written music from an assignment <laughs> sometimes it just takes that little bit of a fire and a deadline to the, to get it right or,
1: or wanting to get an a <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah and then making something that makes those old men cry <laughs> um, so so i i got i've sidetracked myself so jack you came in with this established catalog of music in the ukulele community and you know already recorded you've heard them you know you've heard the the cds and all of that were you careful how you approached becoming you know a accompanist uh, for that or did you just dive in with your own style or you know what was your head like no
1: i i definitely didn't want to step on any of my wife's toes when uh, performing her songs and so i'm always with the mindset of, I'm an accompanist, and I'm gonna do what I can to help color her song and make it as good as it can be with only two people on stage. You know, sometimes we use a loop, sometimes we switch up instruments or drop an octave down for a little bass or something like that, or a lot of delay, or even you know some sort of other modulating type effects that add to the song, but don't take away or distract from the message and the singer-songwriter.
2: And that's evolved over the years that we've yes. been playing together, and especially this past year since we've been playing almost every day.
1: And she's not shy. She'll tell me, you know, I want you to play this part here, and and so I do what I'm told there. But then she'll be like, okay, take a little solo here, and then I can kind of have my freedom too. And uh, it's a nice uh, symbiotic-type relationship. And
2: I feel like when we started, um, you know, the Jack in the Vox moniker kind of, I don't wanna say it was like a joke, but it was kind of like what we just called ourselves when we was the when it was the two of us performing. And there's definitely times where it's the the repertoire of the day maybe is more heavily Victoria Vox and he is more um Jack is more on the role of the accompanist and uh and just depends on the event or, or what uh, what the show is for. Um, But then we've also, since we've been married, have been writing more material. And so we have probably like one or two albums of music that aren't Victoria Vox songs necessarily, but they definitely are Jack and the Vox songs. And so we kind of have, it almost has become two separate acts in a way. So sometimes I have to be clear, like, well, do you want Victoria Vox? Victoria Vox is a duo or do you want Jack and the Vox? (laughs) or do you want jack in the box and do you have any victoria box requests
0: (laughs) yeah we'll do both in reno okay awesome Uh, and that's what
2: we what we usually do anyways um you know because we'll say oh this is a jack in the box tune and this is one that we wrote together and you know uh it definitely is a different i feel like it's more of a an americana uh pop country style in a way some of it anyways um
1: yeah but you know we'll we'll experiment We're kind we'll take of it musical
2: out there chameleons of sorts i think and then with our vocal harmonies which i i feel is something uh the special thing that we have is that our voices blend really well together and um so i think that it's one thing that kind of sets us apart i think as a as a duo
1: and we can mostly sing on key <laughs> yeah
0: a couple of people have found the hidden website for this podcast. I haven't even launched it yet. And I had a form on there where you could ask people, uh, upcoming guests, questions. And I actually got one. Yeah. So I, I'm going to read it. Um, this is from a fellow Jack, actually, All right. from Merced, California. Um, it says I'm a decent ukulele player, I can do open chords closed chords i knew know a few scales a few inversions but if i'm jamming in a group and somebody tells me to take a solo i freeze can you give me a go-to such as if the song is in the key of x go to fret y and play off the pentatonic scale
1: so you would start if you're in the key of a on a ukulele uh you start at the 12th fret with that little minor pentatonic scale there, but it's going to be an A major pent- pentatonic scale there. Otherwise, you can um, sorry, <laughs> you can <laughs> draw your instrument, and then you don't have to worry about it. So you could play it, um, an yes. open minor pentatonic, and that would be an, a minor do that. pentatonic over an <laughs> A chord, which is a different sound. It's more of a blues sound, more of that flat third sound. So I guess the so what what chord is this?
2: That's a B minor seven no, or a D6.
1: What chord is that? D. A D. Okay, so this is a D chord, right, on the ukulele. So that is on the it's basically two, 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 zero. Okay? So if you want to play a major pentatonic over that, you start on the fifth fret.
2: Which would be the D note on the A string. So you start on the root.
1: Right. but if you wanted to do it as a minor right so that's starting on the 8th fret minor pentatonic so i guess the math would be you either do a minor third above the chord or you do a minor third above that three fret. Of the chord, and then three frets above that will give you your minor pentatonic.
2: I think for soloing, a, a great place to start is kind of um, taking the chord changes, and even you can, uh, you know, just change one note. Um, and then when it goes to the next, and you can kind of guide yourself through the changes, and then maybe just take one of the notes. In that chord and slide it up a half step or a whole step versus like just kind of going in cold
0: um, okay so I've been uh, ending the um, podcasts all two of them so far but I plan to end with the same questions um, going through your musical learning and career who are your are your uh, main uh, musical inspirations sorry
2: well, my my main musical inspirations from like the beginning are wow. uh, Laurie Anderson and Cyndi Lauper, uh, I think just two really strong female performers who are creative and. Uh, Saying like uh, I think of just Laurie Anderson's just I loved her quirkiness and um, coming up with sticking microphones in her mouth and her ele- her electric use of electronics and a violin and looping kind of early looping music um she was kind of thought of as futuristic music back in the 80s and then cindy lopper who just is a powerhouse of a vocalist and mm-hmm. i love her b sides on her albums and just sings with such heart and uh intention and just i don't know i just i love her as a vocalist and i see videos even i mean she's very active now still and yeah. i see her singing and i'm just like man like she is just rocking it she's so good and um and then you know through my i guess coming you know you as you listen to more music as you grow up and you know i got into the doors a lot and um i didn't really get into the beatles much until later same with joni mitchell um but i you know ani defranco probably early on in my guitar playing days very percussive guitar playing style um and lyrics um dar williams was probably the more folky side uh Tori Amos loved her singing and uh, gosh, but mostly I th- I would say I, I definitely gravitate towards female artists. That um Regina Spektor is another one, probably more recently, of uh, seeing her perform. She had a band with her for like five or six songs, but the majority of her show was just her, and it mm-hmm. was just mesmerizing and awesome to see. A woman up there doing that and um just singing her songs yeah. <laughs>
1: so that's,
2: cool. that's what i love anyways
1: what about you jack yeah i get mine honestly because my dad was a major influence growing up as a little kid i was nothing but uh, thomas fats waller and art tatum or mm. seven and then uh, eventually uh, harry nielsen kind of took over and. To this day, I, I listen to Harry Nielsen and Art Tatum with uh, a kind of reverence. I just I, I love those guys. Um, eventually, coming into my own, it was all about Prince, man, Prince, oh, wow. and that was it. And uh, you know, it's it, and Prince was a great when I was at Berkeley. It was kind of a great catalyst to tell if people knew what they were talking about or not, because you'd all you'd inevitably get the question, "Who's your favorite guitar player?" And I'd say, Prince, and they'd go, Prince? And I immediately knew they had no idea what they were talking about. Hmm. So that was uh, kind of my secret at Berkeley, And I would uh, tell people about Prince and and show them bootlegs, and they'd be like, I can't believe this guy isn't on every cover of every guitar player magazine for the rest of time. He's that good. And uh, so eventually the funk kind of took over, and and I got into bands like Brandon Heavies, Jamiro Kwai, And then the last artist that I ever really listened to and got off on was a guy named Squarepusher, who did electronic drum and bass music. But it was pushing the elements of music theory and technology at the time. And he was also a a killer bass player. So he would sit there and just play bass over these really funky, complex loops that he would invent and i've never heard anything like it since and uh, i think that is pretty much the last bastion of pushing the limits of music that i've heard personally you know there's a lot of great music out there yeah. but when you listen to it it's songs that they could have been written 40 40 years ago they just sound a lot better now and um where's the stravinsky's where's the uh the the, the beethoven's that are like Making people faint when they hear this stuff because they've never heard anything like it before. That just doesn't seem to exist nowadays, and I think it'll—I think it'll come back around.
2: I think people listen to music for different reasons.
1: Mostly, you know? people who get all their music out to a wide, vast audience are putting out stuff that will appeal to the most people, and you know, you're not gonna—you're not gonna push any boundaries doing that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're uh, against the clock here. So one last uh, uh, universal question. If you could give advice to your uh, beginning in music, younger self, something you know now, didn't know then, uh, what would that be?
1: Don't get a real job. (sighs) Just do it. Get out there and force yourself to do it. I had the desk job for five years. At a cubicle, nine to five, Monday through Friday, with the commute. I was going to take a hostage and end up on the evening news, and uh, eventually ended up getting fired because I, you know, I would be late. I just couldn't bear to be there, and that that was like the biggest gift ever was to be fired and be forced to go out and figure out how to do it. So that would be my advice to my younger self. <laughs> just- well,
0: we have we have really uh, something in common there, because um, where I ended up producing concerts and owning a theater and all this stuff uh, was because I got fired and and hated the cubicle business too. So. Nice. Yeah.
1: We are, we are kindred spirits.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Um, What about you, Tori?
2: Well, as far as advice um, I'd say, you know, to stay true to yourself and uh, just, you know, if you're a creator and uh, a songwriter and a, you know, get out there, share your music. Uh, I think when I when I first started. Uh I you know I would get gigs at you know sports sports bars and restaurants and I just kind of unapologetically performed my original songs and you know people were kind of like I don't know this music and then they'd have me back I'd sing in tune so they'd have me back and then people were like oh yeah I got her CD this is really good and uh,
0: that's how they determined to have someone back Does she sing in tune I, mean, I think so okay ever back but I
2: you know I I guess as far as What I know now, um, with, if I could tell my younger self, um, you know, I'd probably say to
1: don't get married. No,
2: I, I would say that, um, no one works as hard for you as you will work yourself. And there definitely were times where I thought I had a manager, I thought I had some assistance with something, or you thought somebody was, something was going to happen or, you know, and so you kind of get either comfortable or you kind of let up and um, thinking, oh, they're going to do the hard work. And I think if it's something that you really want, you just have, I mean, you are, you're the boss, you're the you're the person that's, you know, there's no clock to punch in and out of. It's uh, really just uh, to the for even those moments that when you h- think you have, you know, everything all wrapped up and, you know, you've got uh, so you say so you are assigned to a label and have a manager and this and that. And so you still oh, have yeah. to manage that. Per- you still have to manage the manager and you yeah. still have to never, never uh, lose track of uh, the business and knowing, uh, what's going on behind the scenes. And, um, it's, you know, it's, it's, I think as an artist, very important to be aware of that. Um, you know, if upcoming artists never, never lose track of the, the, the finances, the knowing who's going where, what's happening. Um, just know, know, your stuff about your own business
0: and put some thought into into marketing yourself which you do wonderfully with all your merch and stuff i've always admired that um so let's finish off do you have anything you want to promote other than uh, your september appearance uh, in reno um Got anything coming up any merch any new recordings uh... yeah,
2: i'm starting to work on a new album that uh we've got gosh we've got a lot of kind of a lot of new music on the on the burners right now um so yeah once we start uh getting out there and performing again we should have uh, at least one or two uh new recordings available um as well as other, you know, with the with the days of uh, digital music and CDs kind of going out of style, and probably with this year, uh, went out even out of style even faster than they were before because everyone's so accustomed now to digital, digital everything, yeah. and downloading, and um, so we'll always have you know T-shirts available. I still screen print underwear and.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, is your underwear in stock right now?
2: Underwear is in stock. <laughs> All
0: right, listeners, if you're short on underwear,
2: underwear. go to
0: victoriavox.com.
2: And uh, I'm thinking of doing a custom uh, custom ukulele themed t-shirts and things. So if people have a, an idea for something, uh, that I can print it on a shirt for them. And uh, yeah, just, you know, having fun with uh, just being creative. and.
1: Yeah, I mean, at this point, our, our calendars are bare. It, yeah, still, we got
2: some stuff coming up. We, but... we,
1: we really don't have anything because people don't know anything yet.
0: Yeah.
1: So we're, yeah. we're just waiting to see like everybody else. And in the meantime, we're clamoring to find out how to get that jab.
2: Yeah, and I should be um, releasing some. I'm hoping to be releasing some singles, which is something that I have not done really in my career as an artist, um, I'm always very album driven and kind of whether it's a concept album, which one of these will be as an art, kind of an art book musical project. Um, but I think I will kind of be slow releasing some of the singles in advance and then um, doing like a vinyl art book thing uh, in the fall. So yeah, it's a, uh, everything's kind of like uh, simmering, simmering on the back burners.
0: You know the original albums were a little box of singles, um, and so if you had ten songs, I fourteen songs, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, uh, you you should at least do one forty-five with a little plastic insert just for us uh, old folks.
1: There you
0: go. You did a you did a LP, so now we need a forty-five. Yeah. So. <laughs> cool okay i'm gonna let you uh get ready for your next appointment here online thanks for this um we're uh uh, we're gonna see how uh, how big of an audience we can get with people just listening to talking about ukulele nice well i think you're
2: gonna do a great job with it so i'm excited for you
0: all right take care Thanks. thanks so much. It's great to see your smiling faces. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Once again, many thanks to Victoria Vox and Daniel Ho for granting me the permission to use their music as our background music on the Ukulele Brain Podcast.